Let me add my welcome again to the one I hope you just received. Uh, we're doing things a little different uh, today. We've, we're, we're doing the announcements in the middle of the service, and this is why when you do them at the beginning of the service at Grace Chapel, four people hear the announcements. We want more people than four people to hear the announcements. Uh, we want to get a good 30% of the people. And so this is when we're going to do them, and we'll see how that goes. Announcements for today. Uh, this Saturday is our spring work day. So every spring we gather together at the building. It's going to be from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. And the deacons at Grace Chapel, uh, along with the neighborhood outreach team, come up with projects both to serve our church by, by tending to our building and grounds and also to serve our neighbors if we have enough people. It's a great opportunity to work side by side with one another, which can create a certain kind of friendship and community to meet people and also just to be of use to your church. So spring work day, 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., be there or be square. We take attendance, so just know that that's a thing. Um, I also want to know if you're interested in joining a small group. So small groups are one of the the most basic parts of our life together uh, at Grace. These are weekly meeting groups that meet in people's homes throughout the week. We'll be starting new groups in the fall, and I want to make sure that we have enough groups available for the people who want to join. And so I would love to know if you're interested in being in a group and if you're not in one right now. And so... You can tell us in two ways. You can fill out a quarter sheet, which is the little white sheet in front of you in your pews, and you can give, put that in the giving boxes in the back of the sanctuary, or you can go online and you can uh, tell us of your, uh, your interest at gracepca.com backslash small groups. Um, thirdly, men's camp out in Beatrice. Camp out, Beatrice, men. It's good. All three of those things are good. You put them together, that's, that's, going to be, that's just going to be fun. Here's the thing. You need to register by May 3rd. And Grace Chapel is bad at registering. The first week of our Are You a Good Neighbor class, four people registered for the class. 36 people showed up to the class. That's a terrible rate. We want to get a little better at that. So you need to register by May 3rd to be a part of the men's camp out in Beatrice, May 5th through 6th. And finally, VBS is coming up this summer. We just want to make you aware of that. The three PCA churches and our uh, community get together and put on a great VBS for ages 4, two upcoming 5th graders. Just know that the registration is open for that and it's filling up quickly. So if you need to sign up for VBS, it is there for you. Those are the announcements for today. Look at all of you who have listened to them. That's amazing. Um, We're also starting a new uh, sermon series today in the New Testament letter uh, to the Colossians. So we will be in Colossians this morning, starting in chapter 1. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Colossians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you're wondering how Paul's letters in the New Testament are organized, uh, 
They're organized by length. Did you know this? That's how they're organized. Bible nerd. You take that to a party on a Friday night and ask people, and you'll tell them, and you will win many people's respect. <laughs> so we're, we're in the short book of Colossians. We're going to begin in chapter 1, and we're going to read the first eight verses together. This is God's Word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, It seems that your gospel has the power to create the fruit of faith, hope, and love in the hearts of receptive people. It's what Paul is giving thanks for. So as your gospel goes out this morning, the word of grace and truth, I pray that the result would be faith, hope, and love. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Um, We'll be learning about the context of the letter to Colossae and who these Christians are as we go along in the letter. But today I just want to reflect on Paul's prayer of gratitude here and why he starts with gratitude. Have you ever been in a place in your life where someone else has to point out the blessings in your life? And that kind of kicks you back into a place of sanity. You've been discontent and discouraged. And then someone looks into your life because you've been focused on a place of pain or on what you don't have. And they look into your life and they say, oh, I thank God for what he's doing in your life. It's happened to me in context of the church. I love the church, but in a moment of vulnerability, you're not the only one who thinks about going to a different church sometimes. (laughs) It just happens to everybody. It happens to every human being because we all hurt one another. And sometimes I'm like, I wonder what other churches are like. And then someone will come in to our community And they'll remind me of how blessed I am to be in community with you. It happens with my dogs sometimes. I get so frustrated with my dogs. They'll come over. They don't abide people's personal space. They make everyone feel uncomfortable. And I feel like a terrible dog owner. 
And then I go over and I meet some of your guys' dogs. And then I think, I'm doing fine. I'm really blessed. I'm a dog whisperer. (laughs) Sometimes someone else, an experience reminds you of what you have. Or someone else's gratitude is like a flashlight on certain elements of your life and it, it gets you back into perspective. That's what's happening with this church. They're in a space where they're being told they need things that they don't have. And, And Paul is shining this light on all that they have in Christ. And he's saying, you have everything you need to grow in Christ. You have everything you need for a purposeful life. You have everything you need to have a great hope. You have everything you need in Christ Jesus. And so we're just going to learn what Paul's gratitude can teach us about the Christian life. Are you ready? Here we go. After giving an introduction and a blessing, he launches into this expression of gratitude. And he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We always thank God. It's the first mention of gratitude in a letter that is littered with references to gratitude. In the same way that the letter of Philippians is the letter of joy, Colossians is the letter of thanksgiving. And in it, we'll learn throughout that Paul just thinks that gratitude is the operating system of the Christian life. It's what's behind and holding up the joy, the faith, the love, the care, the self-control, all of that stuff on the front end, but behind the scenes, it's gratitude that's kind of binding it all together. Gratitude for what's happened to us in Christ. Another thing about Paul's gratitude is he's in jail at this time. He's never been to Colossae. Colossae was started by someone named Epaphras, who was in one of Paul's Bible studies, we think in Ephesus. And he left that place simply having learned the gospel himself and preached the gospel and started and planted this church in this city. Then has gone back to Paul with a report about what's happened. So Paul's never been there before. He's listening to this report from Epaphras and he's in prison and he's saying, I'm so grateful. What would you be grateful for if you were in prison? What would it take for you to express thanks? If you heard, got a letter from a guy in prison, he was like, I'm so grateful. I'm always grateful. What would you think he'd be grateful for? That he's just got news he's going to get out, probably. What are you grateful for? What do you express gratitude for? Usually it's our circumstances. Something has come into our life that we've wanted. Or something has left our life that we didn't want. And we're grateful. But Paul's not even grateful for what's going on in his life. He's grateful for what's going on in the life of another person. And it's not that something has come into their life that they've kind of wanted. They didn't get a job promotion. They didn't get a new car. It's not some opportunity that he's thankful for. 
He's not even saying, I'm thankful that you guys don't have any struggles. Life is so easy for you. I'm always grateful for you. No, what he says is, I am always grateful for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Of the love that you have for all the saints and because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. I am in jail and I heard this message about your faith, hope, and love and I'm erupting in gratitude for you. You're so lucky. You have faith, hope, and love. Faith. Just trust in Jesus. It's faith in Jesus Christ. Not faith in themselves. Not faith in a particular ideology. Not faith in their circumstances. Not faith in what they can accomplish. But faith in what Christ has done for them. Love. Now love in the Bible is always a verb. It's, it never starts with a feeling. Love in the scriptures is always practical care, tangible support. Later on in, in, in the letter, he'll talk about this community knit together in love. Like their lives have formed a network of care and support that like a safety net. They're catching one another in their sorrows and their pains or like a, a shawl that covers them and warms them. When life gets cold and hard, tangible love. He's saying, you guys have built a community of love in the world. And he talks about hope in the future, a hope laid up for them in heaven, setting their hopes and their lives on something beyond this world, longer than this world, that lasts longer than their life. Faith, hope, and love. If you're familiar with the New Testament letters, you're familiar with that triad. Paul uses it all the time. And he uses it in context where he wants to anchor people in the things that matter. He wants people to be, he wants them to measure how they're doing by that standard. Not by the world standard. How am I doing in faith Hope and love. He's saying, I'm noticing that in you. And what makes this powerful is that there's people around them telling them that they need other types of treasures than these. People around them telling them that they need, on the first hand, religious performance. They need to work harder If they want to reach the next level in their discipleship, they need more than simple trust and faith. They need to keep certain days. They need to keep certain practices. They just simply need to work harder. And here, Paul is saying, no. I thank God for your faith. Your simple trust. You don't need religious performance. It's not about, the gospel isn't about faith in yourself It's about resting in the accomplishments of another. So when I thought about this idea, I thought about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. 
You remember what the Pharisee was grateful for? He was grateful that he wasn't like other men and women. He was grateful for all of his religious performances. He was grateful that he was outdoing everyone else. And Jesus said, that man's far from God. And then points to a tax collector who was laid out in sorrow. Just so dependent upon God for mercy, for love. Beating his breast saying, I am a person in need. And the Lord looked at that person and said, they got it. They understand true riches. That one went home justified. Simple faith. That's what matters. In a world that tells you you need to work harder, work harder, work harder. Do you have faith in Jesus? If so, you have true treasure. There was another group that was saying that they didn't need religious performance. What they needed was mystical experience. Supernatural experiences of Jesus. You need to clap your hands more, they were saying. Here's a word about clapping. Some people can't clap, and that's okay. And some people shouldn't clap, and that's okay too. Some people don't clap, not because they're not filled with the Spirit, but because they're holding a coffee cup. I'm just telling you, it's hard to clap when you're holding a coffee cup. There you go. Supernatural experience. Mystical experience. Have you ever felt like a second-class citizen because everyone around you is having a spiritual experience that you're not having? Or a part of a community where you just feel like, oh man, I don't have something in the heart that everyone else has. Well, Paul says, you don't measure someone's spiritual maturity by their supernatural experience. You measure it by the way they love one another. He's saying, you have love for one another. That's what matters. It's interesting. He says something very similar in 1 Corinthians 13, that very famous passage about love. And it's written in a very similar context. He's writing to a church in Corinth where people are having these supernatural ecstatic experiences and there's this whole group of people that feel like secondary citizens because they're not having those same experiences. And Paul speaks into that situation by saying, you can speak in the tongues of men and angels and you can have all the miracles in the world that you want to. You can know all mysteries and all knowledge. You can give away everything you, you have, but if you don't have love... It's nothing, and you gain nothing. Love is patient, kind. He goes on to describe it. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. And after talking about all of the ways of love, he ends that section by saying this, and it should sound familiar to us. He says, now faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. He's sitting there and he's thinking about this church in prison and he's saying, I'm so grateful for you, not because you're a supernatural superstar, but because you're a community that actually loves one another. He says, I'm grateful for faith. I'm grateful for your love. He says, I'm grateful for the hope that you have for you in heaven. Hope, 
a future hope. What he's talking about is different kinds of treasures. Treasures where on earth where moth and rust destroy and the treasures stored up for us in heaven that will be there forever. All of God's future purposes for us in his world will one day be revealed to us. God's love will be poured out in its fullness in our lives. Think about the Christian hope. And he's saying, man, you, you're in a world that, that says you need these performances. You're in this world where you're saying you need all these spiritual experiences. You're, you're living in a city in which you are a mega minority in the world. Think about how insignificant this church would have felt. In the Roman Empire, here is a church started by one man, Epaphras. It's probably 20 to 40 people. This is not a Christian culture, or even once was a Christian culture. They don't celebrate Christmas. They don't even have Starbucks where they can get mad at because the cups don't say Merry Christmas. They have other problems. They have no rights. They have no lobby groups. They have nothing. They're a really small group of people. And what he's saying is, you know what, Matt? They wouldn't have thought they matter at all in the kingdom. And, and, and Paul is saying, I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. About your love that you have for one another. And I've heard about your hope. And every time Timothy and I are having a latte together, It's those things that I care about. And it's just filling me up with joy here in prison. What does that mean for us? Well, some of us have the world's treasures. A lot of us do. We're upwardly mobile people who get promotions in life. And people would look at us and say, oh, they live significant lives. We're maybe a part of a majority culture in the space that we live. And so we're grateful for our circumstances most of the time. And I think what Paul would say is, where's your faith? Do you have faith? You may have all of the world's treasures, but do you have faith in Jesus? How are you doing there? I think he would look at our community and say, where's your love? How are you doing with actual, tangible love for one another, Grace Chapel? Is it there? Is it present? If so, give thanks for it. And if not, that's the thing you need to be working on. You say, where are you putting your hope? And do you realize what you have if you have Christ as your hope? Some of us have put our faith, our hope, and our trust in all the wrong things. And Paul's words of gratitude allows us to reorient our life around true treasure. But then I think about those in our community who may not have what the world calls treasure. They feel like they're on the margins. No one would look at their life and say, man, you've got it made. You're doing well. But Paul says, do you have faith? Do you have hope? Do you have love in Jesus If so, you are so rich. I'm so grateful for you. You don't need all of those other things at the end of the day. 
What you need is faith and hope and love. This small fledgling community, he's raising their eyes above their current circumstances and he's showing them what matters and what they have in Christ. He's also giving thanks for how it came to them. So how do they have this faith, hope, and love? Well, he tells us, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. He's talking about the word of the gospel, the good news about Jesus coming to their community and it's born fruit. But he says, that's not the only thing that the word of God is doing. You're not the only fledgling Jesus community out there. This word about Jesus Christ, that he's the true ruler of the world, that he's risen from the dead, it's bearing fruit all over the Roman world. You need to know that you're a part of a movement of God's spirit in Rome in the Gentile and Greek world, you need to raise your head above your little moment in your city and see that you're a part of something bigger. And I'm so grateful that you are. This would have been life-giving for like 40 people in a large city that didn't believe what they believed, that thought they were insignificant or dangerous, this little minority group. And he's lifting his head to see, look how this gospel is bearing fruit, the fruit of faith and hope and love all across the empire. At the end of Paul's life, he's in prison again. So he's in prison twice. He gets in prison a lot. And at the end of his life, he writes about, he says this wonderful line in the book of 2 Timothy. He says, I am in chains, but the word of God The gospel is unchained. I may be in chains, but the word is bearing fruit all over the world. And I just think it would have been a head trip for Paul to transport himself into Lincoln, Nebraska, the Midwest of the United States, 2,000 years later, and to see the little letter that he was writing this fledgling community to make them grateful, to see that they were a part of a movement bigger than themselves, and to see it read and encouraging us now. He'd be like, man, I didn't know how unchained the gospel was. To think about one man in the dungeon of the Roman Empire. He's losing his eyesight. So envision it in your mind. Man alone in cell. Eyesight going. Dictating a letter to a group of 40 people. Saying, God's gospel is bearing fruit. And Jesus is the king of the world. Now, think about the Roman Empire in all of its military might, all of its ideologies, all of its strength. 
Blind man writing letter in dungeon. Roman Empire. Who are you going to put your money on? And yet, 300 years later, the Roman Empire bends the knee to King Jesus. And 2,000 years later, Midwesterners in Nebraska gather to consider how they are a part of this greater movement of God's Spirit. What I want to say to us is that you may feel like Christianity is on the decline in our moment. You may feel fragile as a Christian person. You may be thinking about hanging up the hat. I get it. But I would say what I think Paul is saying to this little community. First, don't judge the movement of Jesus by our particular moment in history or our location on earth. It took 2,000 years for it to go all over the world, and we have a 2,000-year track record of the kingdom of God advancing. There are always moments that say that, God's, uh, that Jesus' good news has become irrelevant. Maybe you don't feel like this time in history is very Jesus-y right now. But don't compromise your faith because of your limited perspective. Consider what the Lord has done. You are a part of a great movement of God's Spirit that has been a part of every culture, that has touched languages, tribes, on every continent. And even in this moment, it may seem to you in your little world that Christianity is declining, but in China right now, China is experiencing unprecedented revival. There are breathtaking encounters of the living God happening in Iran. Latin America is on fire for Jesus. In the Muslim world, people are waking up regularly having dreams about Jesus and coming to faith in him. It was good news that bore fruit then and now. The world now is more religious than it has ever been. And there's two billion of us on the planet. I'm just saying that it would have been something for this church to raise their head above their little city and say, the gospel is advancing. How much more do we have to look at to give thanks for the power of the gospel. It is unchained, friend. You don't have to be ashamed of the power of the gospel. And so in the end, what Paul is doing in this first section of the letter is he's, by his own gratitude, he's making his way into our lives and he's shining a light on the things that matter and on the power of the gospel. He's saying, you have this message. You've responded to it. And the, and the fruit has been faith, hope, and love. What else do you need? You have everything that you need in Christ Jesus for a life of purpose, for a life of joy, and certainly for a life of thanksgiving. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the beginning 
of the letter of Colossians. Thank you for Paul's note of gratitude. I pray that it would help us to remember what we have in Jesus. I could pin a very similar statement about the hearts and lives of the people in this room. I could, without, uh, without stretching the truth at all, say, I thank God for you always when I remember you in my prayers, Grace Chapel, because of the faith you have in Christ Jesus, because of the love I've seen in you, because of the hope that you have laid up for you in heaven. And Grace Chapel, you should know that you're not alone, but that you're a part of a a movement of God's spirit as God's unchained gospel goes out into the world and is making a difference and is bearing fruit and increasing in the world just as it is in your life. And so we just settle ourselves in to Paul's gratitude and praise. We let it mess with us. We let it tutor us into what we should be grateful for. And we prepare ourselves to take the journey through Colossians with him. We give you thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen.